Hello. Welcome to our sixth and last Pensions 22 podcast. This has been a series of podcasts produced by Osborne Clark and designed to help you navigate the key pensions issues which are likely to arise this year. I'm Jonathan Hazlett, partner and head of pensions at Osborne Clark. I'm joined today by Joe Webster, a legal director in our pensions team, and Charlie Vadim, a partner in our commercial disputes team. Charlie specializes in contentious privacy and cybersecurity issues, including cyber incident response. And today we're going to look at cybersecurity in the context of pension schemes. So starting with you, Joe, I know there have been a couple of recent developments that really bring cybersecurity up the agenda for pension scheme trustees. Could you start by telling us what these are? Of course, the main development is the new requirement for trustees to have an effective system of governance or ESOG, and that's something which you've discussed in an earlier podcast. We're expecting the ESOG requirement to start to apply this summer, and cybersecurity is one area where the pensions regulator has really increased its focus. The draft code of practice sets out its expectations, but it also includes a series of specific actions around cyber risk. A second development is the guidance the regulator has issued in response to the Ukraine crisis. Reviewing cyber safety procedures is one of the key actions the regulator recommends that trustees take. And why is it so important for trustees to focus on this area? Well, pension schemes are unfortunately extremely vulnerable to cyber attack. This is partly because they've got two things the criminals really want. The first is assets, and the second is a large volume of personal data. It's also because they've got particular risk factors attached to them. And an example of this is that the number of parties involved in administering the schemes. You've got the trustees, employers, administrators, other service providers and the members. And having all of these links means there are lots of different entry points for an attack. But the most important point for trustees is that ultimately they are responsible for data security and for cyber risk. So, Charlie, what sort of things might a cyber criminal do? Well, they do all sorts of horrible things, unfortunately, but a very common attack mode at the moment uh, and something we've seen again and again for the last probably 18, 24 months is for criminals to gain access to your systems by whatever means possible. So they'll often exploit a software or a system vulnerability. Maybe they'll fish, they'll trick your people to secure credentials just to get access. Once in your networks, the criminals typically conduct reconnaissance, they escalate their privileges and they plan their attack mode. And then what they'll normally do is they'll hit you with a double whammy. First up, they will exfiltrate, they'll steal as much sensitive looking data, including personal, but often financial data too, as possible. And they'll then look to extort money from you in return for not leaking or selling that data online. Secondly, they'll often encrypt your systems with ransomware, so a form of malware that effectively totally cripples your network on their way out. And then they'll demand a ransom payment in return for giving you the decryption key. It all sounds pretty awful. Um, I've heard about um, something called email spoofing. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yep. Sadly, this is really prevalent too. Again, we're seeing a lot of these cases coming through at the moment. So criminals are getting better at better at effectively, normally by hacking one side to a transaction or the other, putting themselves into a transaction or an exchange and basically masquerading as one party or the other, often by creating so-called spoofed email domains that look just as though the genuine email domains of the person you're corresponding with. 
And once they do that, they'll correspond with you pretending to be your counterparty and they'll use that as a means to try and trick you into handing over data or most typically they'll if you're in the process of making a payment if it's that sort of transaction they'll give you new account details and ask you to pay to that account detail instead of the normal one and once the money goes into that bogus account it's often extremely hard to get it back so there are all sorts of contexts including pension schemes unfortunately in which fraudsters are currently deploying this technique to try and obtain payment of sometimes very large six seven figure sums of money so all sorts of risks here, as you've heard, and, and the way that criminals constantly adapt their ingenuity and look for more and more sophisticated ways to get around things and get in is, is pretty alarming, to be honest with you. And the risk, I'm afraid, it's not just external either. It can be internal too. And, and what do you mean by internal risks? Are there any particular examples you could give us? I'm talking about people risks within the organization, basically. So people who are involved with the scheme. And this could be anything from you know genuine human error or inattention. So for example, sending something to the wrong email address or being caught or trapped by a phishing email, allowing someone to tailgate you into an office, right the way through to the more rare, but nonetheless really damaging sort of malicious activity, malicious insider activity side of the spectrum. So you may remember the Morrison's case from a few years ago. That's where a senior IT auditor at Morrison's who'd been subjected to disciplinary proceedings there had a spite or revenge basically against his employer. Um, he uploaded the payroll data of about 100,000 Morrison's uh, employees onto a public file sharing site and all hell broke loose basically after that. A whole bunch of those employees affected sort compensation from Morrison's and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. So these sorts of actions can have huge consequences for um, organizations. Yeah, and Joe, looking specifically at pensions, if there was a, a cyber attack on, on a pension scheme, what sort of impact might you think that would have? Well, before we look at the impact, it's really good to use the definition that the regulator has for cyber risk, which is the risk of loss, disruption or damage to a scheme or its members as a result of the failure of IT systems and processes. And from this definition, we can see some of the impact uh, that a cyber attack might have on our scheme. So you might find that you lose access to the systems or data, which would result in disruption to the administration of this scheme. But there could also be a loss of scheme assets. You could also see risk of member complaints for delays or failures, uh, but more importantly, a risk of claims for compensation for data breaches. Um, and this could be generally from the breach itself or because the member gets exposed to further attacks uh, because their data has been compromised. Trustees may also face reputational and loss of trust issues. And of course, there's the risk of regulatory action. And that's not only from the pensions regulator, but also from the information commissioner's office as well. And you said earlier, Joe, that the trustees are ultimately responsible for data security and cyber risk. So what can trustees do? Well, that's that's right. The pensions regulators talked a lot about the trustees improving their cyber resilience. And this means two things. It means firstly, improving their ability to assess and minimise the risk of a cyber incident occurring. But it's secondly, improving the scheme's ability to recover when an incident takes place. To do this, the trustees are going to need to look at their own systems and processes, but also they're going to need to work with everybody else involved in the running of the scheme to ensure that their systems and processes are suitably protected. And are there any specific actions that the pensions regulator recommends? So the pensions regulator has set out two um, areas that we can look at. The first is the regulator publishing its cybersecurity guidance. 
and the second are a series of modules in the single code of practice that sets out exactly what's expected of trustees in the area of cybersecurity. The overall message from the regulator is for trustees to learn about the risks, to then identify the risks for their scheme specifically, and to put in place controls which will address those specific risks, and with a blanket, a blanket to keep all of these areas under review um, as we go through um, the risk cycle. So what steps can trustees take, Joe, to learn more about cyber risk itself? So the key here is training. Uh, trustees need to uh, update their knowledge on a regular basis because the risks will change uh, frequently. They also need to think about where they can get this information and training from. Uh, good sources of guidance will come from uh, cybersecurity guidance issued by the Information Commissioner's Office or from the National Cybersecurity Centre and also from the pensions regulator itself. And Charlie, what else does the pensions regulator suggest that trustees do? So the regulator says that trustees need to look at how vulnerable their schemes, key functions, systems and assets, including their data, are to a cyber incident. And as part of that, they need to look at where and by whom data is held and accessed. So just sort of drilling into that, trying to bring it to life, trustees need to look at their own systems and controls and just assess whether they're fit for purpose. So for example, do you need, do you have multi-factor authentication where it counts? What state are your firewalls in? What about your antivirus, anti-malware protection? Are you conducting regular software patching and updates? Have you got effective network segregation to stop people moving around unduly? Have you got good arrangements for backing up systems and data in a secure and offsite manner? But it's not just about the tech. Trustees also need to look at their own policies, for example, their policies on the use of devices for home and agile working. Are they fit for purpose? And then you need to look more broadly. Are you comfortable with the controls and procedures, including around personal data put in place by your service providers and the scheme employers? We can help trustees with a lot of these actions, but some of them uh, straight into what I would call pure information security and technology advice, where you'll need specialist IT advice from separate providers. Well, thanks, Charlie. And Joe, I've heard a lot about trustees putting in place cyber incident response plans. Um, is it a requirement that trustees should have one in place? Yes, the requirement from the regulator is that they expect trustees to put these documents in place, um, but they also expect uh, trustees to be comfortable not only with their documents, but also with what their service providers uh, have in place as well. And Charlie, what sort of things would you expect to see in a cyber incident response plan? Well, the risk of stating the obvious, it, it, it should identify who the response team is and what that team will do when there's a cyber incident, including how they're going to report to the trustee board. And, and to distill that into writing, you're obviously going to need to think about how you might respond to different types of incidents and how your response might differ depending on which functions and parties are affected. And again, looking at that broader piece, you'll need to think about fit with the response plans of the employer and also with your key service providers. So, for example, how and when would you be informed of a cyber incident as part of that wider piece? You'll also need to think about the critical functions and processes for the scheme and what protections and assurances need to be in place before they're resumed after an incident. And then finally, I think you'll need to think about the thresholds and time limits for notifying other parties like the Information Commissioner's Office, which will obviously be expected to notify, be notified in a very short space of time, 
notifying scheme members, the pensions regulator, and even law enforcement, if that may be appropriate. Now, there are also other issues that you want to consider, maybe as part of your plan, maybe as part of your broader uh, readiness measures. So things like your process for recording incidents, conducting post-incident reviews, updating controls and procedures. Sometimes they get baked into a response plan, sometimes they're dealt with elsewhere, but don't overlook those either. And, and what can we do at Osborne Clark to help our trustee clients in this area? Well, I would say this, I suppose, but lawyers do have an important role to play in this space. So as you've heard already, we can help trustees prepare a really effective incident response plan that draws on our experience of seeing things go wrong in real life. And, and one key point on this is just to have the most short and effective punchy plan possible to include a very straightforward checklist of who you should call in a cyber incident and how to get hold of them, because nobody ever refers to a lengthy or cumbersome plan in a real crisis. Another thing we do a lot of is help trustees put those plans through their paces by simulating a cyber attack through what we call a crisis simulation or war game. So basically a simulation of some, your worst nightmare, but in a very safe, secure environment to look at what works well in your plans and processes and maybe what could be improved and then look to uh, apply those learnings to, to, to further bolster your resilience. Well, that's great. Thank you, uh, Joe and Charlie, very much for uh, explaining um, the issues for pension scheme trustees in this area. Um, that's all for today. Um, this podcast is supported by an interactive PDF, which is available from Osborne Clark. And we're also available to do more detailed training for trustees on cybersecurity, as well as preparing those incident response plans that Charlie described. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for um, listening to our other podcasts in this series. Please do contact me if there is anything that we can help you with. Thanks for listening.